This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm at Prem Eric Scopel on the show, and this is a special edition we are recording this Wednesday afternoon after Oregon has basically completed their 2021 recruiting class. And we'll explain why it's not entirely done later on in the show. But Oregon right now has announced, and Mark Cristobal has talked about, 23 signed letters of intent for the Oregon Ducks. They are sixth in the country second time in the last three years that they have landed a top 10 recruiting class. They are number one in the Pac-12 for the third straight season. And what makes this recruiting class in 2021 so impressive and so special is this is the best class in school history. There isn't another class right now that is better and Oregon's program's history of recruiting at the, fo- at the football level than the 2021 recruiting class. So we're going to dive into this podcast uh, on this Oregon recruiting class in 2021, give a lot of insight for you on this one, Eric. And I guess let's just start here, big picture-wise. R- right around this time last year, when Oregon wraps up their 2020 recruiting class, we probably discussed, hey, here, here's the new class. How realistic is it for Oregon to you know, repeat for a third time in a row and sign the best class in school history? I mean, they, this is what we envisioned at that time, right? Like this class and the way it's made up, the players that they've gone after, the, the players that they're from, fits what we were expecting Oregon to do this time last year. It's a home run class, and – you know who else knows it's a home run class is, is Mario Cristobal, who started the press conference basically just running through all of the class's accomplishments. And I found that to be, A, like a good use of his time in terms of just trying to brand, you know, to kind of improve the program's brand. But just to come out and say, Mrs. Okoye says, it is widely regarded as the best class in our history. Um, and then his next quote here is the important part, but we'll find out on the field when it all plays out. But in terms of players in the country, some of the best every position, widely regarded, regarded as the best class in our history, and there's no way to argue it. And it, it, it's really something to look through this now. And with signing day edition of Avante Dickerson, who we need to at least acknowledge, that's somebody who we haven't talked about on the podcast. I don't even know if we really went totally full depth on um, Byron Cardwell when he committed about a week ago, but that's two more additions that are upper echelon recruits that are top yeah. one top 188, I think his card was 188, top 200 recruits. These are elite four-star players that Oregon put together. And to have a, a class of, and we can talk about all of the superlatives here throughout the show, I think we need to, because it's a really special group. But to sign 23 players and have 19 of them be four-star recruits is, A, that's the most 
four-star recruits any school in the country signed. And of course, there are some that would argue that you probably had more four and five-star combines. I know, I know for a fact there are Alabama, Ohio State, I think LSU all do, but like Georgia as well. But this is really, really impressive. And you're right. I know we talked about this about a year ago, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about in the next coming weeks about can 2022 step it up again. But this is a class that they really delivered with. And, you know, today we put a lot of content up on the site. And so definitely go check out duckterritory.com. I think we have like, I was telling Matt before this, I think we have like 20 pieces of content throughout the day, which is like about twice as much as we usually shoot for, but it is signing day. It's kind of one of our, our big days of the year. So it makes sense. But, you know, one of the things I wrote about, I think we have to at least acknowledge is like, we had a, site, a story on the site of like, what was the biggest recruiting victory? And to me, it wasn't necessarily an individual player, but it was the fact that they did all of this during a COVID year where, I mean, for how long have we said, if Oregon gets a player on campus, they'll have a shot. Well, they didn't have to get these guys on campus for the most part. Almost all the recruiting was done virtually, whether it be through Zoom, whether it be through um, virtual tours. I think that probably were through Zoom or text yep. message. And to be able to pull in a class like this, to hold it down, to get players from Nebraska and Maryland um, and, and all sorts of other parts of the country, Texas, um, elite players. I mean, Seven McGee's from the West Coast, but lives in New York. I mean, just to be able to land all these guys is really, really impressive given everything that they were up against. And I think that part can't be ignored either of, hey, this is a year where they had a lot of things that they were working against and it didn't slow them down. And they go out and like Matt says, they signed the best class in program history. And I think by a fairly large margin, especially offensively, and I'll have some stuff up later this week about the offensive stuff, but boy, just top to bottom, it's really hard to poke any holes in this class. You look at this class from an individual standpoint, the number one player in the state of Utah signs with Oregon. The number one player in the state of Arizona signs with Oregon. The number one player in the state of Oregon signs with Oregon. The number one player in Nebraska signs with Oregon. Number one player in New York signs with Oregon. Number one player in Nevada signs with Oregon. The number one player in Colorado signs with Oregon. And then if you want to get a little bit more deeper into this, the number two player in the state of California signs with Oregon. The number two player in the state of Maryland signs with Oregon. The number two player in the state of Arizona signs with Oregon. Uh, the number three player in the state of Mississippi signs with Oregon. The number three player in the state of Utah signs with Oregon. Uh, a lot of the state's best players from around the Pac-12 nationally as well come forth and sign with the Ducks. And you said it, Eric, uh, this recruiting class offensively is pretty special. Um, they signed the top offensive lineman out West. They signed the four and Kingsley Samuatia. They signed Ty Thompson, who is the fourth best quarterback nationally. Troy Franklin is the third best receiver in the country, the top receiver out West. Um, Bram Walden is a, is a top five offensive lineman out West, top 10 nationally. He is with the Ducks. Uh, Keith Brown is one of the top linebackers in the country, sixth best in the inside linebacker spot. He is with the Ducks. Uh, Jalen Davies, a top 10 cornerback. Uh, he signs with the Ducks. He is the 13th best player in the state of California. You go on and on and on about this class and just, you know, best of, best of, best of. And that's really impressive. And, and just to give you kind of some perspective here, um, the two guys that Oregon signed on Wednesday, Avante Dickerson and Byron Cardwell, if you were to go and look at the rest of the conference and 
see how those two guys stack up if they were to, if they were all of a sudden to sign with another Pac-12 school. You look at Oregon and Dickerson, I think, is the seventh highest rated prospect in, in the class. Uh, Cardwell is outside the top 10. And yet for 75% of the conference, 80% of the conference, I think, everyone but USC, Washington, they're probably one or two in terms of that school's highest rated recruit. And they're, you know, they're not even the top five for Oregon. Another way to put this into perspective is Oregon's lowest rated recruit, Brandon Buckner, I think was a, I forget the publication, but he's like a first team all American this last year. And this is the guy who's the very bottom of their list. And like, it's, it, I mean, it, you run out of ways almost to, to run through how impressive this was. I know like a stat I posted to social media earlier on Wednesday was like Oregon. And I mentioned 19 four stars, Oregon state in its program history since 2001, when we started doing these online recruiting things has a total of 16 four-star recruits. Oregon eclipsed that in one cycle. Um, you know, and, and as Chris Wall said, you got to go out and prove it on the field. And this year's game against Oregon State was proof of that, right? Like they lost to a team that clearly doesn't have the same type of recruiting talent on it. Um, Oregon's lost to Iowa State, same kind of thing. Probably the same thing with Cal for sure. Not, not quite as talent recruiting wise. So they still have to go prove it on the field. But this is a program that just continues to get better and better and better. And offensively, my gosh, like it's just you, you, you run through here. And, and like we've said, it's like they just went out and basically plucked the quarterback they liked the best, the running backs, the wide receivers, the tight ends, the offensive linemen they liked the best, and they just got them all. There's not a single one of these offensive recruits they, they signed, which they signed 12 of them, that are not four-star recruits. In fact, the lowest-rated offensive recruit in the entire cycle was Jonah Miller, an offensive guard, and he's inside the top 300 prospects nationally. I think that just speaks to how special this class is offensively. And like it gets lost because the offense is kind of the story here. And, and we should note the last couple of classes, defense has been where everything's been written about, right? Kayvon Thibodeau in 2019, Michael Wright and Mace Foon in that class as well. 2020 with the three five stars that are all defensive players, Flo, Sewell, and Dante Manning. 2021, all about offense in terms of the top rated guys but still from a defensive perspective they signed three top 150 defensive players in brown dickerson and davies and it's just like again i think the only place you could maybe poke a hole is on the defensive line just because they didn't sign very many guys but the guy they did sign was keanu williams who is a four-star um defensive end 6'5 290 pounds out of socal and he's no slouch either so it's it's really really impressive and again i think you come away from this going as Cristobal said, you're going to have to prove this on the field, but like it's almost impossible to argue this isn't the best class in program history. Um, the only absence here maybe for a claim like that would be, well, they had more five stars in the past, but Oregon has a handful. Top to bottom, the depth is just it's ridiculous. than anything. And, and I should, we should say like Oregon has like three or four guys that are borderline five stars. And I know some of those listening probably have – seen other recruiting services rankings and some of these guys are five stars on those we're using the 247 composite kingsley suamatia is a recently upgraded five star on just 247 but he's not a composite but these guys are just right knocking on the door and this is going to be a class that um again it's hard not to get excited about what oregon is building it really is it's 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 really really impressive and even if you go back four or five obviously like 10 years ago this is completely unheard of. I had, a, I had a close friend of mine who texted me this morning and said, just talking about the class and was like, 
are we, is this a dream? Like, wake me up. Like, how did this happen? Because, and he's been following it like we have for a long time. And Oregon just was, this was completely impossible not that long ago that they could do something like this and to have, again, this be a three-year span where they just keep doing it over and over again is, is really impressive. Yeah, Cristobal opened his press conference by basically, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the direct quote in front of me, um, but basically goes out and says, it seems like we're doing this every single year, but another best class in school history comment. And he's right. Like, it feels, it, it feels like Oregon is on a track right now where they are a recruiting machine and they're now winning football games on the field. They're two-time Pac-12 champions. And the, they are widening the gap between them and the rest of the conference in terms of talent. And you could argue, well, USC has similar talent, but the last two, two, the last two times these two teams have played, uh, Oregon and USC, it's been a bloodbath for the Trojans. They, they haven't been competitive. And, and so while maybe the talent is similar or, or maybe tips a little bit more in favor of, of, of USC, nothing is out there right now that, that suggests that these two programs are on equal footing from you know just overall standpoint of where the programs are at, where they're heading, the talent that they have, the talent that they're bringing in. Everything right now is coming up Oregon. And what Oregon did in 2021 and what they did in 2020 and what they did in 2019, these are the classes that you need to sign and you need to continue to sign them to push yourself into that echelon where you are competing with the Alabamas. Not saying you're beating them, you're competing against them on the field, against the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the Clemsons, the Georgias, and the LSUs, because those five schools are a tier ahead of everybody else, it feels like. And really, it's Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State that are so much further ahead than everybody else. But Oregon, you continue to recruit like this, and you stack top 10 classes year after year. You go out and you sign the best players in the, in the region every single year, and you look up four or five years later, you're going to find yourself a hell of a lot closer to Alabama's, the Ohio State's, and Clemson's than you were – you know, when Cristobal, you know, first got this job. And, you know, the one thing that has separated Oregon and USC on the field, I think, of play recently, at least this last season in particular, was to play at quarterback and to play at receiver. Well, Oregon went out and signed a better group of – well, better quarterback than anyone USC signed. So USC did sign two high four-star top 100 quarterbacks and Miller Moss and Jackson Dart, but Ty Thompson's higher rated. And Oregon had much better success at receiver this year. Um, obviously, USC's loaded there, but USC's highest-rated receiver is actually a guy who was at one point expected to sign with Oregon, Kyron Ware-Hudson. He was a flip right around Thanksgiving. Um, so you can look at that, and I think you can kind of point to those areas going into 2021 and say, well, if there is a place that USC maybe has the advantage, it's with Keaton Slovis at quarterback and all these dudes they have at receiver. It's not going to be that case very long. And Oregon, again, their, their most recent success in 2019 and 20 was – I don't want to say entirely on defense, but a lot of the top guys were there to be able to go out and, 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 and now stack on top of it an offensive class like this where you've got literally multiple four-stars at every offensive position aside from quarterback where you've got arguably the best guy in the West Coast. You, you really couldn't have put this together any better just in terms of addressing needs. I think come into this cycle, we said they need to get better at receiver and they went out and they, they landed three big-time guys. And we said they need to get better at quarterback. And they did. And tight end for sure was a spot we said, hey, they didn't sign anybody in 2020. 
We don't really know what the future holds. And they went out and landed, you know, two of the three best tight ends on the West Coast. So it's really hard, again, to poke any holes in this. I think they, they addressed every need. And I think the one they didn't, and maybe we can kind of, this is a natural segue to another topic Matt and I are going to touch on, is defensive line. I mentioned it a second ago. Only one signee there. I did my class grades on duckterritory.com. You can go check those out. Almost across the board, we're talking AA plus grades. The one I didn't quite go that high on was defensive line, and that's just because they only had one signee. Cristobal did say on Wednesday that they were saving space for a special talent, and there is a top-tier guy from the West Coast (laughs) who's a pretty special talent who plays defensive line, and I kind of think that was pretty clearly a direct, maybe not entirely a direct correlation with with, uh, JT to Malau. But if it's not, uh, it's it's at least him and a couple other guys that they're talking. He's speaking directly to, I think, in terms of, hey, this class has a little bit more space. And if you want, you can come join this. And I know JTT, as we've referred to on the show, because we have a hard time with Polynesian last names. And, and JTT is not a bad nickname. Um, is somebody that Oregon fans continue to be aware of. He's not signing in February. He's going to sign down the road here. Um, but he's like, the number one player in the country. And that would be somebody should, that, you, that you, you go from it being like, it's a C, I gave like a C plus grade for defensive line. Well, you bring in the top player in the country, probably going to bump that up a couple letter grades. We're not talking the number one defensive end in the country. We're, we're talking the number one player in the country, regardless of position. Now, um, how likely is it that Tula Malau comes to Oregon? Well, right now there's no crystal ball predictions for, you know, the six been cast. None of them are very high though. Uh, the highest being a five star by Steve Wiltfong, uh, our national leader in the recruiting department for 24 seven sports. And also Bill Kerlick, uh, are one of the insiders at Ohio state. Both have fives, but Brandon Huffman, he has a prediction of a one for Ohio state. Greg Biggins has a three for Ohio State. Um, I should say Ryan Spencer of CascadiaPreps.com, site that covers Washington high school football, has a six. Um, but really, there's not, there's no real like definitive pick out there that's confident that he signs with Ohio State. But they're all for Ohio State. Right. Alabama is also in the picture. They're probably considered second. Oregon's probably running third right now, and. It's going to be interesting to see, you know, how this plays out. I will think, Eric, uh, the longer this plays out, probably the better for Oregon, right? Like more opportunity for them to really just stress, hey, stay home, stay close to home. You, you can, your parents can drive down to the games every single game. Can't do that at Ohio State. Can't do that at Alabama unless they're going to move with you. And do you want your family moving where you're going? And I know family is maybe a, probably a big thing for him, but most college-age kids – want to go out a little bit and explore life away from home and Oregon can give them the best of both worlds. You're still a couple hours away from home yet. You're still away from home. Um, It's going to be interesting to see this play out over the next couple weeks into months. No doubt. And, and again, like I agree, like I think this, the fact that this is going on for a while and the fact that gosh, like since maybe last summer, it feels like Ohio state has kind of been the leader in the clubhouse. And it's always kind of been like, well, Oregon has a shot, but watch out for Ohio state. I agree. I think the longer this plays out, the better for Oregon. And and I think part of it, I think he's hoping to go out and visit Ohio state. Um, 
at some of these those East Coast schools. But if that can't happen because of the NCAA, I think recruiting restrictions and whatnot, that definitely benefits Oregon. And it feels like if he does stay out west, it's Oregon, right? I mean, like yeah. I don't. I mean, it's not going to Washington. I don't think he's going to Washington or USC. I mean, those schools are the other ones that are kind of quote unquote in the picture. I think they were in his top five or six or whatever it was he released most recently. Um, but like, it really does feel like the longer this plays out, the better Oregon has a chance of landing him. And again, this would be three straight cycles where Oregon would go out and, and land the top defensive player from the West coast with KT um, in 2019 flow last year. Um, and then JT to him allow in 2021. And that would be mighty, mighty impressive. Um, and I did the class calculator earlier. And, and of course, some of this is going to depend upon if other schools add to anything. But if they were to land JT to allow and everybody above them would stay kind of stand pat and their scores don't change, Oregon would jump to number number three. They'd move up a bunch of spots if this were to take place. So this is kind of that we'll kind of leave that carrot out there for the recruiting listeners of like, if this does happen this is going to be something to kind of keep an eye on. And, and I think that we've got updates on the site from Brandon Huffman um, earlier this past week or, or late, either late last week or earlier this week, just about where things stand with JTT. Um, definitely go check that out because it lays it, you know, it puts it in, you got quotes and kind of puts everything in perspective, but this is not, it doesn't sound like a recruitment that's going to end anytime that soon. And certainly somebody that maybe he kind of pulls a little bit of the Sabrina Ionescu thing where he just kind of, maybe just kind of way, way, way after everyone else is signed, he kind of just pops up somewhere and, and that's the way he does it. But certainly it'll be interesting to see kind of how this plays out. And, and again, this would be another major feather on the cap, the cherry on top of what's already a really delicious Sunday for the ducks. Let's go. Let's stay on the defensive side of the ball here. And I think one area that really needed to be addressed and it's a big reason why Steve Wiltfong wrote that Oregon was one of the five schools to win national signing day the, the actual day, uh, the third, and, and the verbal commitments that happened on that day. Um, Oregon was one of five schools to win that particular individual day. And it's because they landed Avante Dickerson, um, the eighth best cornerback in the country, gives them two top 10 corners in the country, pairing with Jalen Davies. It also has uh, a class that features Darren Barkins. Um, he is a three-star cornerback. He's the second lowest rated player in the class, but someone that we've had Greg Biggins on before. We've had Brandon Huffman on the show. Everyone we've talked to says, you know, Darren Barkins was a guy that he needed to play a high school senior season to validate the reasons why they wanted to bump him up and see a significant bump. And because of COVID-19, he couldn't play that senior year. And he was that opportunity to really, skyrocket up the rankings which everyone was kind of thinking he was going to do couldn't happen and so you you get Barkins who's a three-star guy but everyone you talk to says his ceiling and his potential is incredibly high and then you you add him with two top 10 corners and and Dickerson and Davies all of a sudden the position group that had a little depth concern going into 2021 is entirely different Want to just note with Barkins ran a four four three laser time. That's back so in, fast. Back in December, um, <laughs> so so this guy is fast. And and Dickerson, same thing. I think Dickerson, another he was a two sport athlete out of Nebraska. And uh, by the way, gosh, I have to. We should do some research on this. When was the last time Oregon landed a recruit from Nebraska? Period. And this is probably the highest rated one they've ever landed. I'm pretty confident in that. But he's another speed guy. Um, Dickerson, I think, was like a sub eleven. 100 meter runner as a freshman in high school 
in the state of Nebraska. And anyone who runs under 11 has got some wheels and you go watch the tape, which I have a, um, uh, a film review up on the site. Go take a look at that if you haven't already watched him play. But this guy is just extremely dynamic athletically. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Dante Manning in terms of size and both kind of six foot, 180, really can run. Quick twitch guys, really good with the ball in the air. It's going to be interesting to see now because this cornerback position, right, Matt, like you talk about defense, it's undoubtedly the question or the position, I should say, that has the biggest question marks entering 2021. And it's a spot where, hey, you got Michael Wright starting at one side and who really knows about the other spot. And then after, even after the starters, the depth is totally, I think, in question of who's your third corner or your fourth corner. Oregon's going to need to, to have some of these guys be immediate contributors and between um, Dickerson, Davies, and Barkins, I feel like you feel pretty good that at least you get a couple of those guys who are capable of stepping in day one and helping a group that that will need some help because there is a ton of four-star recruiting talent, a five-star in Dante Manning. A lot of these guys are like among the 10 best corner recruits in program history. Like, And we'll have those up in the site here the next couple of weeks of just where all these recruits rank um, in terms of the program history from a position perspective. But there's a lack of experience. But you, I think I agree, Matt. I think Dickerson recruitment, the, the sign-in, to, to get, by the way, to pull a kid like that from the, mid, the middle of the country, and I know there was a relationship with Rod Chance who had recruited him to Minnesota where he was committed for a long time. He was the Golden Gophers' top recruit for basically the entire cycle until he opened things up um, last, late last year. Uh, I think in maybe around signing day. Um, but – to pull a guy like that from Nebraska without being able to host him for an official visit is is really impressive. And a guy who I'm not going to be stunned if he plays a decent amount early, part because he's talented, but also just because they really lack some of these guys coming back. And they need, they, they're going to need some immediate contributions from these guys. Looking at this class, I, I really can't find – even – I realize you discussed it. Even at defensive line with only signing one guy, I look at, you know, what Oregon's been able to do the last couple of seasons. You know, the last two you said earlier on the show, the last two they've really hit home on the defense. And this year it was – early on at least, it was very heavy on the offensive side of the football. It evened out um, a little bit towards the end of just pure – offense and defensive player, but sure. there really isn't a lot of guys or a lot of areas that I sit here and say, wow, they could have used one more guy here. They could have used one more guy there. Um, you've done your grades on, on the site on duckterritory.com. What area maybe did grade it out the best in your eyes and, and give us another area. Cause I don't want to give everything away, but give us another area. Maybe that you felt like it, maybe it's defensive line that you felt like just maybe one more player was needed. I gave an A or an A plus grade for every offensive position. <laughs> I think that's justifiable too. I mean, like a legitimate, like I sat there and I went, how, how do I not, you know, I went A plus. Cause I mean, it's like, it's undoubtedly the best. What's well, the best quarterback they've had. It's the best wide receiver group they've had. It's the best tight end group they've had and the best offensive line group they've ever signed in one class running back. I didn't give an A plus just because Oregon has signed individually better talent in the past between your Jonathan Stewart's and Thomas Tyner's and Royce Freeman's and Lake Seastrunks. And there's, there's a pretty impressive list. Um, so I went a for that group, but like the rest of it's like, how do you not give it a plus for a Ty Thompson who we should note Cristobal indicated on Wednesday that he will be at least able to compete for some reps and have a chance. He said he was an exceptional talent. 
a guy who doesn't come around very often and the excitement around him is extremely high. That was Cristobal and Thompson um, earlier today when I asked him about kind of his ability to play right away. Um, how do you not give a guy like that an A plus? How do you not give a group of receivers that have two of the three best recruits in program history in Franklin and Thornton? How is that not an A plus at tight end? It's two of the top four. How is that not an A plus you have the best offensive line recruit in Kingsley. How is that not an A plus? Um, so those guys all got A pluses defensively. Um, I won't give it all away. Um, so I will just kind of focus on the defensive line. I really think that's the only spot you can really point to and say they really could have addressed it or you'd like to see them address it. You know, they brought in five linebackers. They brought in five defensive backs and the defensive back recruits. We've run through them all basically, or at least the corners. They added a couple safeties that were four stars as well. It's really hard to kind of pick the nits, you know, the nitpick there. Um, but defensive line, it's like, I just, I really just think defensive line, I would have liked to have seen one more interior sized body or one more, you know, pass rush kind of guy that was a little bigger. Cause technically on two, four, seven, we have Terrell Tillman, a three-star um, out of Texas as a defensive end, but um, go ducks, you know, the Oregon officially has released him and says he's an outside linebacker. And that's what they, that's where they designated him to play. So I think it's fair to say they only signed one defensive lineman in this class. And I just think if they could have added one more and maybe it's JTT. And if they add JTT, this is it literally drastically like, changes. I think if they add JTT this class, which I didn't do a total class grade, but I think it's an A right now. If they add JTT, it's an A plus for the whole class. I don't know how you can't fault it across the board. It's basically perfect. That's how I feel. Yeah. It's tough to argue against that. Um, we asked, for your input, the fan on Twitter a couple of days before National Signing Day, a couple of things to, to read off for you uh, on the show. Colby Trillo says, will the offensive sheen benefit offensive recruits? It's a good question. Um, I do think it will. Uh, I, I love the addition of Brian Cardwell at running back because that allows you, I think, to put Seven McGee in the slot more and play a role very similar to like, Byron Marshall, DeAnthony Thomas, Kenyon Barner did when yep. they were paired with other running backs. I think McGee could, can play every down if you want him to at running back, but I think his best skill set is being, you know, just used all over the field. Um, and, and you just, you know, find mismatches and then exploit it, exploit it, exploit it. Like, I, I think that's huge. Um, Oregon Vlone says recruiting from everywhere in New York city, Maryland, Arizona. We also don't have room uh, for other players on the, on the roster. Now it's going to be interesting to see, you know, competition. They're right. You know, Vallone's right. They recruit every, they recruited the country and it wasn't just dominating out West. Like they usually do. It's they went and landed some big players across the country going out and adding these pieces is going to elevate the standard in the room. Um, Josh Cole says just the general quality of the class. There's not one person I see that doesn't have the potential to be a starter by their junior year rather than just depth. And that's something I'm not quite used to. I, I think that's yeah, right. A really good way to sum this class up. No, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you there. It is. It's it like, and, and I think one of the things Cristobal said, and obviously you can, it's easier to say this after you sign a class like this, but just about the immediate, you know, contributions of players and obviously I mentioned Thompson earlier but he said one of the things that was important in this cycle and he's noticed just because of I think basically he didn't say it, but the instant gratification right now 
of if you don't like where you're at, you can transfer out pretty easily. You can jump in the portal and we're seeing record numbers every year of players doing that is, is that they've tried to make it clear. He's tried to basically set up a situation where they know what their roles are short-term and long-term yep. almost immediately. So that there's no second guessing of like, okay, what's my path to playing, blah, 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 blah. And obviously everyone has an opportunity to come in and play their way into a starting job or to play themselves out of it. But that players come in going, Hey, I'm, going to have an opportunity to play immediately. And they've telling me, you know, that that's an opportunity, you know, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying they're making any promises because he's pretty clear about that sort of thing and how he has to earn it. But I did think it was kind of notable um, about how they do expect immediate contributions from these players. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean immediate as in, in 2021, but from players not that far down, down the line. And I agree with that concept of like, it doesn't feel like this is a class of guys where you're, you're expecting it to pay dividends by their junior year and after, like, it doesn't feel like this is a class that helps you most in 2024 or 2025. It feels like a class that's going to help you win games in 2021. And then especially like in 2022, 23, where these guys go from maybe backups their first couple of years to being starters and star players. And for some of them, maybe a Ty Thompson, maybe a Troy Franklin, uh, maybe a Kingsley Sumatia, uh, maybe some of these guys on defense, just because there's maybe more immediate playing time, especially at corner, they are instant guys that play immediately and maybe even start as freshmen in 2021, even on a team. And this is another thing Cristobal talked about is just the number crunch here of they have more players on the roster than ever before because of the NCAA and, and, and the, the, with the, you know, kind of offering an extra year is it is going to be more competitive than ever in part just because they're going to have more players on the roster and these yeah. freshmen are going to have to, to really work to get their playing time. I mean, yeah, it, it's not going to be easy. It really feels like this is a class that there's going to be three waves of impact mm. where next year in 2021, you're right. We're going to see some of these younger guys and you ran through a couple of them that will have an impact for Oregon and they will go and instantly have success. And then in three years, one or two of them will, will go pro and will, will find themselves in the NFL. Um, and then there's going to be another wave where over the next two or three years, these guys start emerging and start playing at a big clip. And in three or four years, they're off to the NFL and, and all conference type of seasons. And then there's going to be that third wave where in four or five years as redshirt juniors, and eventually as seniors that it's their time to shine now and that they're big time players and they're going off to the NFL. Like there's going to be, it feels like this is a class where there's three waves of impact right away, intermediate success. And then they're gone. And then guys, because they're at loaded positions or they just needed time to develop. will will catch on at the very tail end of their careers and have huge seasons. Do we want to throw out some like sleepers from some of these guys? That, sure. I mean, we, we talked about all the top guys, and I know we also wanted to talk about <laughs> some comments Cristobal made regarding sure. USC. So let's do a couple sleepers and then close with the other part, just because I think that's pretty telling. But like, I just look at this class, and, it, and it's funny because you talk about sleepers. I think you can include <laughs> like mid to low four star recruits in your sleeper yeah. conversation because if you don't, you're basically relegating yourself to three guys or four guys, I should say, that are three stars. Um, but, like, let's pick one offense, one defense each. Um, offensively, for me, I, I, I really think – and, again, it's crazy. I, I, I don't even know – do we want to call these sleepers or not? Or I, don't, I don't even know how we want to do this because they're all, like – They're all extremely talented, but sleepers is, like, 
saying yeah. that they're not very good right now. And it's like, it seems wrong. Cause not, like all maybe, guys, maybe not hyped up as, as fans would hype up a five star. Yeah. So let's go guys that are outside the top 100, which still provides a lot of ridiculously good players, but like offensively, I think a guy that I'm really excited about is Maliki Matavajo just because I think the tight end position is open for somebody, some, one of these guys, we talked about it, I think on a mailbag podcast a couple of days ago, um, or I guess it went up on Wednesday, um, just about how it's kind of like DJ Johnson, Spencer Webb, maybe. And then there's an opportunity for some of these freshmen. I really like his upside. I think physically he's big. He runs really well in the open field and he's pretty physical as a blocker. So I uh, put me online for, and he's 156. So to call him, he's the best tight end on the West coast, fifth nationally at the position, best player in the state of Nevada. So again, it suggests he's a sleeper. It's probably the wrong um, descriptor, but like a guy out of the top 150, who's not one of your top 10 or so best recruits who I really think could be somebody who plays pretty quickly and, and makes an impact. And then defensively, I am going to go with one of the three-star guys here. Um, I, I really like the upside. And I mentioned him earlier of Darren Barkins. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. He's six foot. He runs a sub four, five, 40, a sub four, four, five, sub four, four, five, 40, even. Um, as Matt ran through earlier, he was somebody who, when we spoke with, I think it was Greg Biggins on a podcast, like back in November or so, who was saying like, this is somebody who could, maybe it was earlier than that, but whenever it was, was somebody who was like really high on his upside. And I just think the stars maybe don't do it justice, how talented and how high the upside is for a Darren Barkins. And again, kind of like Madavajo, and this is maybe the trend of, the sleepers being guys who contribute right away. I just think that there's an opportunity for like one of these corners or maybe two or maybe even all three of them to kind of see the field quicker than you typically see just because Oregon did lose Diamond Lenore. It did lose David Davis to transfer. It was already a position that was kind of short after Thomas Graham um, announced he was going pro early and Javon Holland, who I guess was technically a corner, but kind of corner ish played the nickel spot. He went. So, like, I, I look at corner and think there's immediate availability at playing time. And Barkins, who is, again, the 22nd highest rated recruit in this class, right near the bottom here, I think is somebody just to kind of don't overlook him because he's not one of the 19 four stars. Let's, for me, I'll start on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and it's a receiver, Isaiah Bravard, because we're so focused on Dante Thornton and Troy Franklin. Two yeah. guys that Franklin is the number three receiver in the country, top 40 player. Thornton is the number seven player in the country at the receiver spot, 56th overall. Isaiah Bravard is 28th and at receiver, 171st in the country, regardless of position. Honestly, Eric, it wouldn't surprise me if he is the guy that steps on campus day one and – you know, a lot of people are thinking a freshman is going to, you know, be one of be, become one of the you know top four receivers next year. One of these three true freshmen. It it wouldn't surprise me one bit if it's Brevard at, at all. Six foot four, two hundred pounds, huge dude, big big playmaker. Can can run down the field really well. Can run across the middle. Can be that you know red zone throw it up, make let him make a play type guy. I just think this is a guy where. He maybe is someone that plays right away or potentially could be that like that third wave type of guy I'm talking about where yeah. Franklin shows up maybe day one as the starter, you know, for Oregon at, at one of the receiver spots. And in three years, 
has two 1,000-yard seasons and 20 touch, total touchdowns and is a first-round draft pick. And then a year later, Dante Thornton goes. And Isaiah Braverd has redshirted a year. He's in, in, in three years, you know, his first three years, he maybe has 45 receptions for 800 yards or something of that nature. And it's, it's good numbers, but it's nothing spectacular. And all of a sudden, because he gets playing time, as a junior or senior, he he bursts himself into that you know second third round type discussion. Um, that's my guy on the offensive side of the football. Defensively, I'm going to go with Jeffrey Bossa, four star safety Love from him. from Salt Lake City, Utah. A guy that maybe plays linebacker, maybe plays safety, maybe plays nickel. Um, just a really big time athlete, and I think has flown under the radar quite a bit just from fan interest and hype just because he's at the very end of that four-star range, almost a three-star guy. Uh, he's not a top 10 player at his position, but he's you just watch his film and he's just everywhere. And I, I really think he's going to be a guy in five years where it's like, wow, he had a really good career. It may, may not be a, uh, you know, start to finish four-year starter type career, but just someone that just maybe every year just gets better and better. Was it you or Kevin who, when I was talking about the the star position, which is kind of the new, the new nickel safety linebacker hybrid, suggested Boss would be a good fit there? I think that was Kevin, but I'm in agreement with that. I think that, that makes a lot of sense as he maybe is the replacement for Jamal Hill here in a couple of seasons as like a redshirt sophomore or a, maybe it's a true sophomore if he plays right away or something. But like I just think, I, I, I love Basso. I think he's one of the guys that, if I'm not picking Barkins, he's he's a, probably the next name out of my lips. Okay, now I think it was last week, or maybe early this week on Monday. Grayson Helton, the 2022 commit for the Ducks, he fired off a tweet saying a lot of schools negative recruited Oregon, and from an Oregon perspective, they didn't do that. It was always just Oregon. They just talked about Oregon, and. Cristobal was never asked about that tweet with Mark during the Wednesday press conference. But, kind of be awkward if he was. <laughs> yes. But at the same time, we definitely saw him take a couple opportunities to fire back at the rest of the Pac-12 for their negative recruiting. Um, and look, we mentioned this right after Oregon beat USC on the Pac-12 championship that, you know, Huge for Oregon. The rest of the Pac-12 is going to hate Oregon even more after they beat USC because of of all the you know Oregon sat for a whole year waiting to say something because a lot of schools took shots at them, said a lot of stuff. They they made a lot of claims, maybe not directly at Oregon, but just a lot of claims. And Oregon really didn't say much indirectly, you know, through social media and you know recruiting and and, and press conferences and everything. And then once they won the championship. They unleashed on everybody. And it was like, I said it here. Everyone else in the conference is going to hate Oregon even more and more. And we saw, we've seen it. Negative recruiting. And Cristobal brought that, didn't necessarily bring up their negative recruiting, but was asked a question just about, you know, recruiting for, you know, at this level for three straight years and what they're able to do and winning on the field with it. He had a lot to say about that. And here's what he said. It's a really long answer, but I think there's a lot to, to unpack here. Okay. Well, I think our guys took it as a challenge. I think every year, I think three successive years, I guess, 
I guess the best way to put it is like this. We have an unbelievable place and an unbelievable program and the trajectory is skyrocketing. So what happens is that every single year, a lot of teams, a lot of programs across the country, they want to come and they want to take a piece of Oregon back with them. And they want to implement stuff that we do, our blueprint and whatnot. And we're proud of that. We're proud of the fact that people from here, they get head coaching jobs. They get coordinator jobs. They get opportunities to be on the field and move up and move on. And that's part of one of the best things about coming to Oregon. You're at, whether you're a player, a coach, a GA, an analyst, you're going to have the opportunity to keep moving upwards. But every year, I think our guys see it as a challenge. Whenever there's a person who leaves here or there, it's like, oh, well, it's going to change now. We have a blueprint, and it's not just about one person. It's just about everybody working, and it's about everybody being part of the University of Oregon. And this is unbelievable athletic department, programming, and community. I think it's awesome to see that the hard work is validated in surpassing the accomplishments of past recruiting classes, regardless of departures or new arrivals. We just keep on going on and on and getting stronger, and it's validated in what we're doing on the field. It's validated what we're doing in the classroom, in the community, in society. I know we say it a lot, but when we say it, we mean it. We're not a video snapshot. We're not a false tagline. We are doing it, and we're doing it for real, and I think that we're just getting started. That is a lot to unpack, and <laughs> and there's some things to ex- explain here because when Cristobal first showed up, a lot of schools negative recruited Oregon saying it's just a staff full of recruiters. You're going to go to Oregon. They're going to recruit you. They're going to sales pitch you. It's going to be all flash, all, all, you know, very, very little sizzle. You're not going to get results on the field. They're just a bunch of recruiters. And the first year they, they didn't win the PAC 12, but they did beat Washington. Uh, They had a couple other solid wins on the year. They finished the year with nine wins. And then that mantra stuck with them. And then Oregon went out in 2019, won the Pac-12 championship, kind of shut things up there saying, hey, we can win. And then this year in 2020 was really a big test for this program. Look, we can argue left and right how they got to the Pac-12 championship game. The fact of the matter is they were in it and they won it. And and their Pac-12 chance for a second year. So now three years, they've won the league twice. And they're proving that they're not just a bunch of recruiters because they've done it with two entirely different rosters, a veteran loaded roster with an NFL quarterback, and then a a young up and coming roster that's got a ton of new pieces. And they did it without a traditional off season as well. And we've also seen that, Hey, this guy has left the program. You're no longer going to be able to recruit as well as you possibly could. Um, First, Prentice Gill, a guy that was an off-field analyst, GA, uh, for Oregon. He coached receivers. And he just prior, immediately, I think a year, a day or two after Oregon won the Pac-12 championship game against Utah in 2019, he took a receiver job at Arizona State and immediately tried recruiting a bunch of Oregon's targets, said, go Come play for me at ASU instead. He got Johnny Wilson to flip his commitment from Oregon to Arizona State. But he went after a lot of Oregon's targets. And there was a lot of ideas and, and, and negative recruiting that Oregon's receiving core would go down because Prentice was no longer there at the receiver spot because it, he was such an integral part of that recruiting department. Well, what did Oregon do this year in 2020? Like <laughs> in the 2021 recruiting class? 
They signed Fortin. They signed uh, Franklin and they signed Brevard. And then they signed two other elite tight ends that took zero drop off. And Prentice Kill talked a lot of smack on, on social media. And maybe I'm just connecting dots that aren't there, but I don't want to put words into Chris Wall's mouth, but this is kind of what we're connecting here. Um, and then this past off season, we also saw Dante Williams go from Oregon to USC. Yep. And that was a big one. And where USC said off on the trail, Hey, Dante Williams is no longer at Oregon. They're not going to dominate Southern California anymore. They're not going to dominate the West Coast. USC now is going to be the the headliner in recruiting because they because we as in USC stole the guy that was running a lot of Oregon's recruiting and that was pretty destroyed. That theory was destroyed this offseason or this this cycle. USC recruited well. Can't argue that. Dante Williams has done well down there, but Oregon hasn't faded at all. It just signed its best class ever. And I think the way that he ended that quote with, we're not a video snapshot. We're not a false tagline. We're doing it for real. And it's, I think we're just getting started as I think that's very clearly a message to what they have been hearing. The the negative recruiting that they've been hearing, you know, that to me is, I mean, and again, we don't want to put words in Christopher's mouth, although he said these words, <laughs> so we're not really doing that. But I think it's very evident to me that Cristobal knows, probably from player, probably from recruits like Grayson Halton, who just tweeted about it not that long ago, that Oregon just landed the commitment from, that there is a lot of jibber jabbering on the trail from other schools in the Pac-12, suggesting Oregon is just kind of the you know they've got all the flash but no substance to them and. He felt the need to put that out on a day when Oregon landed its best recruiting class in program history and after, in a season where Oregon, for the second consecutive years, won the conference. So I, I, I don't think it's – I mean, it was kind of subtle in that it was at the end of a long answer, but I don't think what he was trying to communicate to me or to Matt, and I think those listening, if you kind of put thing, a couple things together here, it's pretty clear that he is saying, hey, guys – we're, 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 we're Pac-12 champs and you're not. And we're, exactly. and we're, <laughs> and we're, we're kicking still your dominating. Butt. And we're kicking your butt. And I think that maybe that's a good place to end the podcast of like, that's the mindset of this staff of we're doing it on the field. And guess what? We're still doing it on the, recru- on the recruiting trail, even as we've lost some key assistant coaches. And they're going to have maybe some similar things to, um, to kind of like overcome this year in terms of you lose Keith Hayward, another really highly regarded recruiter. Andy Avalos was a part at least of landing a couple of five-star linebackers the cycle before he's not Boise state Hayward's at Cal. Um, I don't really think, I don't want to say it doesn't matter, but I think Oregon at this point under Mario Cristobal and with the mindset you have to have to, to, to coach this program from a recruiting perspective, you have to have a certain work ethic. Um, I just don't see them falling behind. That doesn't mean they can't have a cycle where they miss a little bit more, Sure. But I just don't think this is a thing where, like, it's pretty clear this is not a trend. This is this is what Oregon is, and it's just going to continue and continue. And I think, as we'll talk about in the future about 2022 class, I don't think for a second that's going to be a class that is, it's not, you know, I'll put it this way, and we'll, maybe I'll, we'll end this taking a shot. It's not going to be what Washington has signed in 2021, which is a, a class outside the top 25 after they were for a while there, at least contending with Oregon on the trail. I mean, they didn't do it this year. They were not up to snuff. I don't think Oregon's going to fall back like that anytime soon. I just don't. I, I look at this and think, okay, 
there might be a year where Oregon's third in the in the Pac-12 conference from a recruiting perspective. Shoot, it, they might even be fourth if we see like an insane run where there's you know four Pac-12 teams in the top 15 or top 20. Okay, but really, I think the only time that there's going to be a a, a a vast difference from one, two in the conference and Oregon, and they're not in that one or two spot is if Oregon openly chooses to only sign like 17 players, 16, right. 16 players, like, and not try and sign a full 25. That right there in my eyes is the only way Oregon for the foreseeable future will dip below the top chunk of the conference is if they just openly choose, Hey, you know what? Because of numbers, we only can sign 16 players in this recruiting class, but the 16 players that we're going to sign are all going to be four star guys. And maybe by a per recruit average, they're in the top 10, but just because of a recruiting, how it works, you need to get in that 25 range a little bit below it or a little bit above it to really have a, a, a say in that top 10 finish nationally, you know, that's the only way I don't, I don't see Oregon not making that threshold, that top 10 ish threshold, 12, 13, maybe being kind of like the high and, and three or four or two, maybe being, you know, as best case scenario for Oregon one is if they don't sign a full class. And I don't see that changing one bit right now. And the way Oregon's recruiting, the way Mario Cristobal is running this program, the way that he demands his coaching staff to operate, um, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Real quick, real quick. Let's, Eric, let's real briefly touch on 2022. Okay. Oregon has made two scholarship offers in the last couple of days for in-state players. I know a lot of Duck fans love the in-state storyline. Yeah. And so we, we're not really going to go too much into this, but just put this on your radar. First, Trey John Williams, the top prospect in the state of Oregon, a four-star safety from Jefferson High School, Oregon offered him. The reason they couldn't was because they'd hired his head coach, Don Johnson, for an off-field role. And at the time, the NCAA doesn't allow you to, to recruit high school players if you hire their head coach uh, unless he's for like, an, like a cornerback coach or something, an on-field coach. Right. Well, that, that rule has now been changed. And like the first day that was made available, Oregon offered. And now – Oregon has offered a defensive end from the Dallas high school um, up North, Andrew Savaina, six foot three, 273 pounds, a guy that's kind of blown up the last couple of days, uh, UCLA, Washington state, Cal, when Tim DeRuiter was the D coordinator there, Oregon state, Nevada has also offered him a scholarship. Going to be interesting to see how many in-state guys Oregon goes after and how many they sign because there won't be a ton of room and they are recruiting at a high level. I think it's telling that Tim DeRuda really liked this kid at Cal yeah. and came up and said, Hey, like, let's send an offer. And I, we talked about Trey John Williams a while ago um, when we we're taking a snapshot at 2022 and his talent. Um, he also has another high school teammate, uh, Lamar Dawson, another highly rated. The state of Oregon is really good in 2022. This could be a year unlike the past couple where they've kind of signed one, maybe two. You could maybe see them signing. They've already got Amari and Winston committed. You bet you could see them signing three to five, maybe in, in theory, at, at, out of the state. 
Um, and if you and, and more than that, if you include Tobias Merriweather, who like basically lives in Portland, but right across the bridge in Vancouver. Um, this, I, I think it's very telling though, that, that, that offer was, uh, was not one I was expecting. I think, well, you, you could have expected them to offer Trajan just because of the, the way they changed rules. And he was obviously a kid. If you have a kid like him in your backyard, you're going to take him. He, he's that kind of talent. Um, I wasn't necessarily expecting, and I'm going to butcher his last name, Salva, yeah. Salvanea, to get an offer this early. But that to me says that they think that they're, that, that obviously Deruta really liked what he saw. And also, I think just kind of tells you that they think there's a really good chance that they get him maybe short of, maybe we can continue some of this momentum and pick up a commitment not too far down the line. That's, that's more speculative than anything else. But I think it's telling the offer a guy who is kind of, doesn't have that sort of recognition nationally, at least right now. Look, there's a there's a thing in in Oregon whether it's Crystal Ball running the show now or Hel- Taggart before him, Helfrich before that, Chip Kelly. That and maybe it's a little bit of overconfidence from a, an outside the program perspective, but internally, Oregon doesn't offer an in-state guy unless they're prepared to take a commitment because more often than not unless the kid is connected to Oregon state from Corvallis or is like a legacy of a, a player of a, that played somewhere else across the country, if it doesn't check those boxes. Typically if, if it's just a kid in the state of Oregon, they don't offer unless they're prepared to take a commitment because in most situations, if Oregon offers, they instantly become the favorite and you know, more often than not, the kid ends up committing relatively shortly after the offer is made. So I'm with you. Like they don't, they don't make this offer unless they a are comfortable with him committing here in the near future. And B, if they want to maybe get some early momentum in the 2022 class by getting a, an in-state verbal commitment from a guy that has the potential to be like Darren Barkins of the 2021 class, where it's not going to surprise me one bit. If this guy explodes uh, on the recruiting trail, you just watch his film and see if he can get out on the on some camps and play a, a season this spring where he blows up. Yeah, really good size too at six four, like two sixty for for a kid his age. Yep, yep. All right, that's going to do it for us. We promise now here on the Austin <laughs> Albus podcast. Until we talk to you, then you've been listening to the Austin Albus podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.